It's Tuesday, March 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Mike Olson. Gentlemen, how's the recovery from St. Patty's Day going? <laughs> it's <laughs> the recovery from the snow. I was going to um, say, I'm a bit more recovering from shoveling snow yesterday, but St. Patty's Day was nice. That sounds about right. Uh, we did have yet another snow day here yesterday, which meant no show. And that means we've got plenty to chat about, including the excitement over Amazon's new device and Walmart taking over GameStop's turf. But we begin with a look at Alibaba, and please don't start seeing anything from the <laughs> from Aladdin, <laughs> as we were earlier. Uh, Alibaba, the Chinese e-commerce giant, has announced it'll hold its IPO here in the U.S. and will release more details a week from today. Now, to give you guys an idea of the importance of this announcement, according to Reuters, Alibaba's platform handles more goods than eBay and Amazon combined. That's a lot of stuff. Are you guys excited about this IPO? <laughs> so, I mean, I think this is interesting for the fact that this is arguably one of the world's great businesses coming public. They're mm. basically a much larger version of Amazon and eBay. You know, in the e-commerce world, there are two things that matter, scale and strength of mm. networks. And, you know, that makes these markets, if and when you become the de facto leader, sort of a winner-take – there's a winner-take-all dynamic. So those folks that have an early lead will – sort of increase their leads. That being said, I think there are two things you need to consider in the context of this IPO. Uh, reportedly, the implied valuation is about $150 billion. Yowza. They made $792 million worth of profits last year. Um, that's not small. And you know, given the market's fervor for these types of investments of recent, I think you want to proceed with caution. Last and not insubstantial in the context of this, you want to remember that this company, it's probably run for founder and former CEO Jack Ma's benefit hmm. and not yours. So <laughs> <laughs> Reasonable. Hey, speaking of uh, who controls the company, uh, Jack Ma and some senior managers own about 13%, but Yahoo and SoftBank control just over 60%. What's an IPO going to do for those guys? Uh for Yahoo, I mean, this is—I mean—it's at once a boon and a problem on account of the fact that they are going to be strapped with an enormous tax liability, and moreover, their financials are going to look a whole lot uglier when they don't have Alibaba butressing what are not so great results. Hmm. Yeah, we've been talking about that for Yahoo for a while because I mean, what with all of the, with everything that that Marissa Meyer has done for the company to this point, and she's done a lot to really sort of turn around that perception and get them going, I think, in the right direction. But we've always been focusing on on that sort of top-line organic revenue growth because right. the, the, that's the indicator that there's demand for Yahoo services, right? I mean, that's the demand for their platform where ads are going to you know, maybe add more value to the company. And, and we're not really seeing that materialize mm. so far. And then so given the challenges that Mikey's mentioned right there, uh, I mean, there is some optimism in the market today for Yahoo, but I, I don't know that it's looking far enough ahead. I think I'd be a little bit more skeptical at this point. Hmm. All right. All that being said, IPO day. You guys investing in Alibaba? No. Hmm. Yeah, I'd take a pass. Interesting. I mean, I think if, if for no other reason, you could reasonably expect, and uh, this is without having the ben- having had the benefit of looking at the registration statement or anything to that effect. Hmm. Uh, this company's success is in, in some part predicated upon keeping the cost of their service down. That's how they will continue to gain market share. They suffer from something akin to an Amazon problem. It's not quite the same on account of the fact that they're more of a commerce platform. Mm-hmm. But uh, And the other thing is I think you know, 
you you would hope that or you would expect that this thing is going to move higher on the day at IPOs. I would be very surprised if it did not, given the market environment we're in right now. Okay. Hey, speaking of Amazon, the company is reportedly going to begin its selling its own set-top box, which apparently will look a lot like Google's Chromecast do- dongle, sometime in April. The device should be able to stream videos and perhaps even play video games, which means Amazon's just going after everyone in the at-home entertainment world. Maybe that means it's biting off more than it can chew, but if there's any company I'm not betting against, it's Amazon. <laughs> Jason, what's your take on all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you there. I would never bet against Amazon. I mean, you have uh, Jeff Bezos, obviously, is, is relentless, if nothing else, in trying to uh, get products out to market and take any little piece of market share that seems available out there. And mm-hmm. there's no question that uh, the smart TV is is a it's a market opportunity here going forward. I mean, you look at the end of 2013, uh, there were just a bit more than 300 uh, million televisions connected to the internet around the world, globally wow. speaking. That's forecast to more than double by 2018. Wow. Uh, now, <laughs> pro- let me see here. About half of those right now actually come from the streaming devices themselves as opposed to you know the actual smart TV. So the streaming device uh, game is is taking place. It's competitive. I mean, you've got Apple TV, you've got the Google Chromecast dongle, and you've got uh, the Roku devices that, that are out there right now, which basically, you know, they all give you uh, a, a way to, be, you know, turn your TV into a smart TV. Uh, it, it's the closed sort of environment versus the open. You know, Apple, for example, takes control of that environment. Mm-hmm. Speaking from from experience of having got an Apple TV device at home, and it's it's a nice device. They've certainly uh, enhanced the the app environment uh, with agreements with with things like you know Disney and, and PBS and uh, HBO, uh, which is great. Uh, you you don't have, I think, a full sort of uh, plate there with, with maybe enough. Apps to take care of everything you might want in, in your in your video consumption, uh, but Amazon is is certainly taking uh, taking part in that. You know they are investing more in in video and, and that Prime offering, which I think is is really built out is is it's been built out very quickly. I mean, a couple of years ago we weren't giving it much credit, and now I mean their, their Prime video offering is is very substantial. I mean, the only thing that really differentiates it from Netflix anymore is the original content, right. and even Amazon's you know doing their own original content. So you have more and more options out there uh, than ever before. It's it's kind of a race to the bottom. Hmm. I mean, it, it's all kind of trying to figure out how to get uh, you know whittle away that cost structure from from the cable bill. Everybody's sick of, of paying that one hundred fifty dollars cable bill every month. I think, but um, you know, this this is going to be their their shot at really taking part in in gaining that living room share, so to speak. And it'll be interesting to see when it comes out how it performs. I more than likely will end up buying one just because mm-hmm. we have uh, so much. You know, Amazon we've incorporated so much into our sort of day to day life at home, right? Um, and it doesn't sound like it would be something that would put me back financially at all to give it a shot. But uh, it'd be interesting to see, right? So I, I think there are probably a few. Um observations to be made here. The first is that I don't know why somebody named a streaming device dongle. Um, <laughs> it's, there it's, might have, it's the I, form it, of the device. It's not the actual device. Well, it doesn't yet. quite dangle, so I right. guess right. market, dongles, market research might have been in order. Um, and then, honestly, with respect to Amazon, I guess maybe you could argue there's long-term potential in terms of their ability to create an ecosystem and further disrupt Industries, particularly on the streaming end of the spectrum, get Mm -hmm. a meaningful foothold there. I don't really see a direct connection right there. I think that will be 
somewhat difficult on account of the fact that you want arguably speaking you would want to keep these things uh these devices platform agnostic um Hmm. that being said my guess is as jason said they're going to be moving towards that really i think if you're amazon um this shouldn't matter from a revenue or profit standpoint and you aren't thinking about this you don't want to compete in the streaming device market because largely speaking these are commoditized goods they're undifferentiated what amazon or if i'm amazon and i'm jeff bezos and I mean, you get a really interesting window into how his mind works in the everything store. He's really thinking about Amazon on a holistic basis. And what I'm thinking about is the ability to make uh, Amazon's user behavior and big data machine smarter. Um, This gives me a meaningful capacity to plug a few more nodes into that and just get a little bit better idea what emails, what promotional emails I should be sending to someone every single day. And there, there's a lot of value in that, obviously. Hmm. So if you look at last year, there are 18.5 million streaming devices shipped in the U.S. alone. So it's not like this is some – I mean, there are what, around 120, 125 million households in the U.S., um, 18.5 million streaming devices. It's not like this is some kind of – it's, it's not like they're selling iPhones or anything. It's not going to cost them really anything to probably you know produce this little dongle and, dongle. Then, and then get it out. Whether it's four million, five million, ten million, whatever. I mean, Mikey's point there is a good one, and that it, it really is just a way. It's a window for them into their consumers' behavior. It's another way for them to pull in data. And I mean, you know, the one thing I, I, I we have to kind of also remember here: the past five years or so, the, t- the television itself has been redefined. I mm. mean, it's mm. no longer just the TV that you sit downstairs in your TV room and watch. I mean, these tablets are televisions, your phones are television. So, I mean, there's, there are more ways to consume your video than ever, ever before. Uh, so, you know, this isn't some kind of this – is, this is just another little bet on Amazon's part. It's not going to be something that makes or breaks them. But I think if they can, you know, ship out a few million of these things, it definitely gives them a window uh, more into their consumers' behaviors. And, and, and you know, like Mikey said, I think targeting uh, with, with more appropriate emails, there's potentially an ad market out there they can tap into. So uh, that's probably what this is mostly about. Right. Speaking of tablets, you both have tablets in front of you. Don't you wish you could use Microsoft's Office Suite on them? I was just thinking, you know, man, I want to get into Excel here, but unfortunately, <laughs> man, my iPad. If only there was a way. It's hey, verboten. There might be a way. Microsoft is up today on the rumor that it will roll out an Office Suite for the iPad at an event next week. Guys, buy, sell, or hold Microsoft on this news. Uh,. So I own Microsoft, and mm. it's been kind of a, a, a stock that I hate to own, but has continuously <laughs> done well for me. That's about right. I looked at it, and it's it's actually beaten the S&P over, I think it's like a six- or seven-year holding period I've mm. had. I think this is a smart move on account of the fact that, increasingly, Microsoft's crown jewel is not their Windows franchise, it, it, but the nature of their enterprise software offerings. And so offering Office for tablets allows them to kind of entrench themselves in terms of that, that incumbency. Mm. And, you know, it's still the de facto standard in enterprise, but increasingly consumer uh, tastes and preferences and and what choices they make will be informing the enterprise. There's sort of a a give and take on this end of the spectrum. Being in uh, iPads matters in that regard. Mm. And, you know, the other thing that you want to consider here, and I think this is what the market is reading into this, is uh, maybe this is a less recalcitrant stuck in its ways, Microsoft, and that Satya Nadella is willing to go ahead and make some bold gambits. Um, you know, 
obviously that that's sort of an open question hmm. but to the extent that is the case that that is interesting to you because microsoft you know hate them or not they they matter right. um right and that's interesting you say that because when the new ceo was announced the immediate reaction was just stay along the beaten path bring back bill gates just do the same thing over mm-hmm. and over again right and and a, and a lot of the exec suite is still you know right microsoft old hands so right. You know that that's very much an open question, but this is an interesting move in that context. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'm buying Microsoft's just solely on this decision, but I mean, to Mike's point there, I think it is at least a sign that management is thinking a bit more forward in this case. Mm. And if this is just a sign of their forward thinking, as opposed to trying to, you know, sell something that's not going to (coughs) sell Microsoft Surface, um, I mean, maybe the maybe maybe this is just a good indicator that management is going to be a little bit more forward thinking, a little bit more uh, focused on future opportunities. And if that's the case, then I think it definitely makes Microsoft look like a more attractive investment opportunity in the next five, possibly ten years. Yeah, and, and this is not a really expensive stock at 14 times earnings with like the largest cash hoard on planet Earth. Um, <laughs> or no, no, sorry, that's Apple. But, um, <laughs> close though. Close. Yes, close. <clears throat> All right. Uh, in other news, Hertz has announced that it will spin off its equipment rental business into a new company called Hertz Equipment Rental Corporation, or HERC, which I just like. Uh, the spinoff's going to put some more cash in Hertz's pocket, which it will then use to pay down debt and start a stock buyback program. That all sounds pretty good to me, Mike. Am I investing in Hertz on this news? So I think Hertz is um, – it's been an interesting story on account of the fact that I was – you know, now we have 90% of market share consolidated among three players in the rental car business. And at first I was a little skeptical of this because by and large it's kind of a commoditized business. You can walk from one counter to the next. Right. But – if you're to consider the reasons the rental car companies weren't able to make nice returns on invested capital, it was because they were beholden to the major OEMs, the vehicle manufacturers, who were increasing the prices for their fleet vehicles, and they weren't able to pass those costs on. Increasingly, it mm. looks like those costs are getting passed on in the form of price increases. So you like Hertz here because you know they are the clear winner in this deal. Mm. They are extracting $2.5 billion from spinning out a company that has $1 billion worth of sales. Hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that being said, you know, and, and you you have to like, I think it's trading at, you know, 10 or 12 times earnings. You have to like share repurchases at these price, prices if you believe the consolidation story. You also want to keep an eye on the spinoff right here because, um, you know, first they're going to get dumped for the optics, strapping a company that has $1 billion worth of sales with $2.5 billion worth of debt is not good. Right. The other thing is this is kind of a fragmented market segment. So players of scale in the, the heavy equipment rental business can use their cloud to negotiate better terms from the uh, the sellers of these, these devices. And also, it has leverage to improving capital spending in the broader economy because it's very much levered to industrial activity, home building, so on and so forth. Hmm. I'm going to channel my inner Charlie Munger, and I have nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great shout-out for Charlie. Uh, Okay, last but not least, Walmart has announced that it will begin accepting used video games in exchange for store credit. Obviously, this is a big blow to GameStop, the king of used games, but there are other companies like Best Buy that are already doing the same thing. So is it really that big a deal for GameStop? Mm, it could be. I mean, the first question I have to ask, I mean, like, is this an attractive market in which to be? I mean, it's mm-hmm. used video games. And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's seen as about a $2 billion opportunity out there. So for some companies, it's a bit more significant than others. I mean, mm-hmm. given uh, GameStop, you know, brings in somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 and a half to $9 billion in revenue yeah. um, annually. 
versus Walmart's $450 billion or something like this. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, obviously a bit more significant for GameStop in that regard. And given the fact that GameStop already operates on these very, very thin net margins, mm. uh, it, it could be a very big deal for GameStop. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of us here have uh, been turned off of GameStop recently because of this move towards digital distribution, uh, you know, the, the producers of the content like Activision Blizzard taking a bit more control over that relationship, um, leaving GameStop stores more or less just empty shells. I mean, you know, there's one by the Trader Joe's where we go every now and then. I'm just, I'm floored every time I look at the, the, the GameStop there is, is just, it's a ghost town. And I'm surprised it's still open. Uh, but, you know, I think that this is interesting timing on Walmart's part because of the new console uh, cycle here that's just kicked in. So I think that Walmart saw this as, as a potential opportunity to, to, you know, get in on some of those games that people are going to be, uh, you know, unloading. Right. Uh, but, you know, GameStop to me, again, I mean, it, it, it it more or less is a one-trick pony versus your Best Buys or your Walmarts or stores uh, of that nature. So if I, if I look at GameStop, I mean, this definitely doesn't uh, help their cause in my book. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I think I think this is more interesting if you're to view it from Walmart's perspective. Uh, you want to remember they tried to break into this market, and I think it was like 2007 or eight, hmm. um, and they weren't able to. Um, but for Walmart, the way I think about this is this is kind of a heads-I-win, tails-I-don't-lose-much gambit. Hmm. In that, you know what, you try to break into this thing and you, you don't do so well, that's fine. But if you are able to establish a meaningful foothold, even if you run this as a loss leader business, you are attracting traffic to your stores. Right. You're giving them gift cards. That is creating, uh, I mean, maybe a source of customer activity, which you other, otherwise would not have. Um, and, you know, uh, for for all of the, the sort of negative press that GameStop has been, gotten, and I spoke negatively about them a few weeks ago, I think it was on <laughs> InvestorBeat, um, they do have an interesting sort of ecosystem in that, you know, one of the things that really matters in use. Uh, video game sales is you have to have inventory in order to attract people. And they've created that sort of incumbency cycle or or, or network by having this rewards platform. Mm -hmm. People come to turn in their used games. They in turn sell them. They've actually made – their margins are razor thin, as Jason says, but they've made great returns on invested capital. Um, yeah, and they've they've grown that gross margin line too. I mean, it hadn't really trickled down the bottom line, but over the last mm-hmm. five years, they've um, I, I think it was about four hundred basis points that gross margin has expanded. So that's that's mm-hmm. worth noting, right? I mean, I think yeah, this is more of a shot over the bow, um, where uh, who knows how uh, who how hard or whether or not Walmart will really be able to get this market. Right. But if you're a GameStop investor, you're definitely a little bit concerned because Walmart really has nothing to lose in this. Fair enough. All right. Jason Moser, Michael Olson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.